Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. I'm your host, Eric Sue, and today we have Ari Zodan from Quantum Networks. Ari, how are you doing today? Great to be here. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well. Thanks for being on the show. So, Ari, why don't we start off a little bit with your background first, and then we'll continue on. Wonderful. So, uh, I guess uh, I just call myself an entrepreneur by trade. Uh, started in telecom, uh, moved on to technology and to new media. Uh, we have a company right now, an e-commerce company. We do about 50 million in revenue per year. Uh, we're focused in investing in niche communication products. Company just made the Inc. 500 for the second year in a row. Uh, company's growth has been absolutely uh, outstanding, uh, primarily due to the phenomenal team that we have. Uh, in addition, I'm a, a commentator for Fox News and for CNN, CNBC, and a lot of the, the major networks covering technology, social media, cybersecurity, and general business. Got it. Cool. So can you tell us a little bit about Quantum Networks? Sure. So the company is a niche retailer, which means we purchase and we sell niche communication products. So we're not a typical shopping cart where we sell flat screen TVs or iPads, but we look to sell intelligent uh, technology, sorry, technology, intelligent, uh, intelligent products. Uh, for instance, uh, high-end routers, Wi-Fi, security cameras, and we developed a market, uh, developed a, an opportunity in the space uh, to be able to provide support uh, both online and offline for a lot of these products. So the people that need the proper hand-holding uh, or a sales assist uh, acquisition, we have tech guys on staff that actually help people make the purchase. Got it. Cool. So, I mean, you know, I, I looked at your site, you know, the revenue growth has been insane. I think you guys started in 2008, right? That's correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I saw a 300K and then like another one went up to like 5 million and then like 25 million. Now it's at 50 million. I mean, you know, what? what's kind of the main driver for that growth? I think it's, uh, it's look, it always comes down to talent. Um, you find a good, innovative team. You could virtually do anything, especially in, uh, in today's environment. Um, everyone could, could compete. Uh, everyone sells pretty much at the same price. So the only big differentiator, in my opinion, is finding really skilled, quality talent. Um, and that's been the obstacle. And, and you're starting to see in the marketplace now, a lot of big companies are swallowing up some of the smaller companies, not because of the product or service that they offer, strictly for the talent. So you'll see some of these larger companies acquiring a smaller company and actually shutting down the company or terminating the product, but then absorbing the talent into the bigger company. Cool. Great. And I've heard you know, from some CEOs in the past that they spent maybe a quarter or a third of their time on, on recruiting you know, this, this great talent. I mean, how much time do you spend on recruiting? So I'm head of recruiting at the company in addition to being CEO. So I, I probably interview about 40 or 50 people per week. Uh, it's, it's, it's absolutely, it's, it's extraordinary. And, and people ask me, well, you know, don't you have better things to do than sit there and interview people? And the answer is that I don't. Uh, it's the most important thing in a business having top tier talent and the only way to be able to do it is having the CEO get involved in uh, not only the day to day operations of the interviews but actually working with the team and uh, and coaching the company to continue to acquire top talent. Got it. So what's you know what are some tips you can provide on kind of finding this top tier talent? Um, obviously you could post on, on all the, the major websites, uh, you know, there's, there's Monster, there's Hot Jobs, there's tons, tons of boards out there. You can go, uh, you could go 
via the, the brick and mortar uh, recruiting firms as well. Uh, but in terms of the, the processes, what I've, been, what I've been known to do, first interview, uh, it's always a, a four or five minute interview. Uh, I, I typically see if the person is, is dressed appropriately, shows up on time, is presentable, sort of, you know, 101. Shockingly, uh, shockingly, Eric, 9 out of 10 people don't even fit that criteria. You think, you know, unemployment almost still in the double digits. People just aren't showing up on time. They're not taking the job search seriously. So that's typically first interview, just seeing if they can show up. Second interview, um, I get into their, their skill set um, and understand what they're passionate about. Um, we love hiring people that, uh, that have a passion for, for music. Um, for engineering, something that really will differentiate themselves from from the rest of the pack. So, uh, not so concerned about their their GPA, their work history. Interested in who they are as a person and their character. Got it. Okay. So, if I'm understanding correctly, you have them show up in person for a quick five to ten minute, and then you kind of um, you say, okay, you know, we'll let you know if you're gonna if you're in for round two. Is that how it works? That's exactly right. I mean, I set the expectation. I, you know, I say, for instance, if it was you, Eric, you know, you come in, I say, look, you know, I appreciate you spending time coming in. First interview is, is five minutes. Um, and I think they understand typically where I'm going for it. And I explained, you know, once if you want to show up on time, if you have a copy of your resume, you know, if you're presentable. Um, and then I always, always before they, um, before they leave, I say, oh, by the way, send me a follow-up email tonight by 845. Mm -hmm. um, Shockingly, that's, I mean, that's a pretty, pretty simple assignment. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to be able to do that. Uh, and the purpose I do that is just to see that, you know, A, if they're listening and B, if they can follow up. And again, eight out of 10 people don't even do that. They'll follow up the next day or in three days or they won't even send me an email. So um, as I mentioned earlier, Eric, it's um, the talent is, is getting harder and harder to find. Okay, so it sounds like you have a really you you have a really worked out you know funnel that hiring funnel that's working out for you. Um, you know, I heard, I saw something int interesting on Twitter the other day where uh, I think HubSpot uh, guy from HubSpot David Cancel he always gives his interviewees a disposable cup of water and sees what he, what they do with the cup of water after. If they don't dump it away, you know they don't get hired. Um, so. You know, I, I think it's it's really interesting things like that that you know you find things that work for you. Um, so I guess continuing on the hiring funnel, I mean, you know, after after interview two, I mean, uh, kind of what happens there? Because I mean, if you're, you're interviewing all these people for different positions, I imagine there has to be complexities for each different position. Correct, correct. I mean, we'll also, I mean, if, if there's a uh, if there's a piece of talent there, even if we don't, we're, we interview whether we have positions open or not. So if we find somebody that's really, really special that can add something dynamic to the team, we'll do the reverse. We'll actually we'll, we'll create a position for them. Um, that's how interested we are in terms of recruiting talent. So um, that has been that has been a, something that differentiates our company from the other companies. Got it. <clears throat> okay. Oh, cool. So <clears throat> for I always like to ask the question. You know, how did how did Quantum Networks you know acquire the, the first thousand customers and I know it might be a little different for you guys since you guys are you know acquiring these different companies so uh, feel free to answer that question you know however you want, you, see, you see fit sure uh, the answer to that is really we, we know how to optimize uh, projects on the web really well we know how to build uh, effective shopping carts we know how to acquire customers so uh, it took us a while to get our first thousand customers um, and a lot of it has been through trial and error but um, once we got there we're able to scale pretty effectively okay. Got it. And when you say optimize, I mean, what's what's one thing you cut you could kind of share there? 
Uh, blogging is huge, obviously. Content is king. Uh, you know, Google wants to provide the absolute best tailored content to that person, to the end user. So as long as we, we follow Google's guidelines, and they, the amazing thing is our, they, they publish it. And it's just, you know, it's following instructions. We, uh, we, we link to the proper people. We provide good quality content. It has to be original. Um, and stuff of that sort uh, drives traffic to your, to your website. So it's, it's, it's 101. It's not rocket science. And again, it's just it's following the rules and playing fair. Okay. Yeah, you know, part of the, the whole content, and, you know, we can even call this PR as well. I mean, you've appeared on CNN, USA Today, Fox Business, and, you know, all the entrepreneurs in the world would love to be on these shows. So kind of how did you get to that point, first of all? Um, a, a lot of it was being at the right time at the right place and understanding that uh, you know, there's something out there called, called media. Um, and a lot of companies, a lot of smaller and even mid-sized companies don't get the power uh, of being on television, uh, you know, being in front of 42, 43, 45 million people every single week. Um, and they don't know how to harness and monetize. Well, A, they don't know how to be able to get access to it. Uh, and B, they don't know how to be able to, to really monetize it. And the answer is, you know, getting access to media uh, is like any other product. It's, it's, it's a school of hard knocks. I mean, you can either, you know, hire a public relation firm to go out there and to be able to you know, get you in front of the camera, uh, or you could do it by, by getting on the phone and cold calling and building a reputation with the producers and the bookers. Um, and that's, that's something that I've always done. I know early, early on I, I knew that I needed, to get, uh, I needed to get public exposure to get my brand out. Uh, and it was an important avenue for us and I focused on that. And, um, you know, and I, I appear four, five, six, seven times a week uh, on different, different media outlets including you know, Fox and CNBC and CNN uh, and CCTV. So, um, it, it's the power of the media that I think has really differentiated our company. And, uh, and again, it's, it's important that you know, when you're on air, if you have the opportunity on air, it's, uh, it's positioning yourself as a, as a neutral expert. Uh, companies, uh, producers and bookers don't, don't appreciate you going on and self-promoting your own product. They're not interested in that. They're interested in getting someone who's a real expert in the space as, as an analyst or as a neutral party and to be able to talk about the industry. So um, I found that to, to really, really uh, click for us. Cool. And do you have a specific example where, you know, the, the media has clearly helped you, you know, someone reached out to you for like a consulting thing, you know, whatever story you might have might, will be super helpful. Sure. Uh, every time I'm on air, I'll, I'll typically get two or three hundred emails um, after the appearance um, for opportunities to be able to, to sit on their board or, or just some advice or to participate in, in an equity round. Um, and I'll always, as a general rule, I'll always take a, I'll always take a meeting with anybody and everybody because I, I do believe in, in good business karma, if you will, and um, not necessarily looking to, to monetize or profit from every relationship, more focused on, on the people and wanting, as an entrepreneur myself, really, truly, generally wanting entrepreneurs to succeed. Okay. You know, so when you say you'll take a meeting with anyone, is this like a physical meeting or is this just like a quick phone call? Because I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that are just like, you know, I'll never do a coffee meeting, they're useless. I, I just wanted to get your take on that. Um, there is a school of thought that say, yeah, it, it is useless. Um, they say it's a time sap. Uh, I completely disagree. If you have the time and the capacity and the bandwidth to be able to, to meet somebody for coffee, even if it's for 10, 15 minutes, it doesn't have to be a, a two-hour uh, you know, coffee break, 
um, it's it's something that um, I've seen turn into to real opportunity because you don't know where that relationship is going to lead to. I mean, if there's no opportunity with that person, well, you know, he may have a brother in your business, or he may have a cousin who's a friend or an associate. And I've seen those paths just absolutely open up because of it. So. As a general rule, I'll to anybody that wants to meet with me, I'll, I'll find the time, even if it's nights or weekends, to be able to meet with them. Nice. Okay, cool. So you talked a little bit about karma, and that actually segues into the next question. Um, you know, let's talk about your book, The Seven Spiritual Principles to Great Success. So the concept is that the name of the the name of the book is is holy biz. We're in the still process of coming up with the name. So it'll either be holy business or holy money. Um, the basic principles and this bore out of a recent trip that I came from uh, back from uh, in northern India in a town called Dharmashala, uh, meeting with the the interim successor of the of the Dalai Lama. And we basically um, in a in a monastery we had a conversation about general business. Uh, and it occurs to me that um, the monks that I've spent a week with, they're they're in such harmony with themselves, and they don't have much money, but yet they're they're so peaceful and, and they're really in tune to to the outside world. And but at the same time, they have an understanding of money and the necessity to be able to provide food, clothing, and shelter. So we had a conversation about about you know how do you define success um, and how do you define money. Um, and out of that came this concept that I had that, um, and it's not an original concept, but it's something that I spent a lot of time researching, um, the concept of doing, doing good business and that you don't need to put somebody down to be able to be successful. You don't need to undercut them. Uh, you don't need to put them out of business in order to be successful. What happened, you know, the concept of, you know, 25 years ago, Gordon Gecko, Wall Street, greed is good, yeah, apparently doesn't work. That, that catches up to you. You see the housing, you know, you see what happened uh, in the housing collapse. You see what happened when the market collapse and Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. So it really the concept is whatever goes around comes around. Um, and we put that into a, a, a very, very fine contextual sense in a book citing very specific examples about how good business how good business will lead to, to really good profits. And uh, we talk about some examples, Eric, we talk about collaboration versus competition. Um, and explaining, well, there's more of an opportunity to more make money if you can collaborate with your competitors versus compete. Uh, social entrepreneurship, you know, providing, uh, whether it's technology, money, or resources to third world countries um, that benefit society as a whole. And, you're then recognized as somebody that's benevolent. So um, ideas like that uh, are threaded throughout the book. So, Got it. Cool. And when does this book come out? Uh, it's going to come out uh, in six months. So we're looking in uh, February, March of 2015. Got it. And what, you know, what's, the, what's your number one goal for, I guess, you know, or number one reason, actually, for wanting to do a, a book like this? Because I think there's always a story behind it. Sure. Well, I, um, I've spent the um, past 10, 12 years and, you know, been to probably 50, 60 or 70 countries around the world. Um, and it, it's been an amazing journey for me. Much, much of the travel, part of the travel was personal, part of the travel was business and always ran into some absolutely phenomenal people along the way. That, um, that gave me tips and ideas and concepts. And uh, there's, there's a concept in Judaism called Bashert. Uh, it's sort of karma on steroids, where everything happens for, for a reason, and timing uh, in everything is essential also. So you meet someone on, on a bus in a random country, and you have a connection to them, or you meet up with them you know, four or five months later, or you find someone that you have in common. 
stuff of that sort, if you're open to it, uh, if your heart is open to it, if your mind is open to it, the opportunities are, are completely vast and, and enormous. And, um, and you're, seeing, you're seeing a lot of good people today making a lot of money. And uh, that's, that's part proof that, uh, that this is working. Got it. Okay. <clears throat> I guess that segues into another question. You know, how does you know, <clears throat> a startup entrepreneur or someone that's just super busy set aside time to travel because you tra it seems like you travel a lot I do so I, I like mixing business with uh, business with personal so if I'm on vacation with with my family I, I set I set a, you know a couple of hours aside to be able to do some business as well um, and there's nothing wrong people talk about you know separating business with personal well it, it's it, it's hard to do that if you love what you do uh, so business is actually, it's very personal. I talk about that in the book, you know. If, if you, you know, if you hurt somebody in business, people say, you know, well, it's, um, it's not personal. I mean, I've heard it so many times. They say, Ari, it's not personal, but, you know. And, and I've realized that business is very personal. Uh, it's very, very personal. I don't know of anybody that's been stolen from that haven't, hasn't been hurt. So apparently, you know, business is very, very personal. So. Got it. Okay, cool. So <clears throat> switching gears a little bit, you know, we, we had a discussion before we started. You know, you mentioned, uh, you know, nine out of ten tech startups, you know, just don't understand marketing at all. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Sure. So they, they come up with the, the idea. Many times they believe that they have something that's completely innovative. Uh, first problem is that they don't really, they haven't done the research enough. They haven't done the due diligence to see what companies are out there. Um, but more importantly, they haven't done the research of the companies that have been out there that have tried it and that have failed or succeeded. So uh, due diligence is absolutely is critical in success of, um, of building a successful company. Second thing is once they've built it, nine out of ten of them that I've met with, have, have been looking or continue looking for marketing dollars. So the obvious question is, well, you know, why haven't you thought about that before you started? And they said, well, you know, if we build it, we thought people will come. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. You know, you can't build something. It doesn't matter how proprietary or how extraordinary it is. You need to be able to have the proper funds behind you to be able to push it out there. Um, and, and, you know, people don't, marketers get it. Technology people typically don't get it. They don't understand that, and unfortunately, that's why a lot of companies fail. You know, I've seen that a few times in the past. You know, personal experience um, being a marketer at a startup, and then also you know at, at other companies that we help too. So, you know, what's how do we get these? How do we get more tech-oriented people, or more like more, I guess, de developer-coded or developer-minded uh, entrepreneurs to understand how important marketing is? It's a good question. I think, I think information, I think getting the, the big marketers out there to being able to give seminars, educate, you know, edu educate our, our fellow community to be able to really get them early on and explain it to them, say, hey guys and, and girls, it's, it's, you're building something great. However, you know, keep in mind that you know, there's going to come a time where once your product is built or after it's in beta, you got to start focusing on marketing your product as well. And I've, I've told this to people, I, I'd almost rather have, Eric, a, a decent product, a decent, decent, even a Me Too product, but has phenomenal packaging and great marketing than having something so proprietary uh, with, no, with no packaging or messaging around it. So. Got it. Okay, cool. 
Now, the whiteboard background uh, behind you, you know, we talked about that a little bit. Is there any, any story behind that? No, I mean, aside from that, it, it's, it looks cool and fun. Um, it, it's great. I don't have a notebook, so my, my <laughs> notebook is the wall, and uh, it's completely visual, and it's always in front of me. So I, I, can't, I can't close the wall. I can close my notebook, and uh, at least it's, it's in front of me 24 by 7. Got it. Okay, cool. And so, you know, I know with, with the, you know, quantum networks, it, things like, it seems like things have been smooth sailing, but was there any point, you know, is there any point where quantum, quantum networks was on the, the brink of failure? Mm, brink of concern, I like to call it brink of concern failure, thinking that, um, you know, we won't be able to, to get over this barrier. Um, sure, I mean, it, it doesn't happen on a regular basis, but, you know, like every startup, we have challenges with finding good talent. Uh, liquidity, no matter what, is always an issue. Uh, understanding from a technological and system standpoint how to be able to properly scale. Um, so it's, it's the very, very cookie-cutter one-on-one issues that I think, you know, eight out of ten tech companies um, deal with. So we're, we're learning to, to deal with it, just like every other company, and it's, uh, it's been a it's been a journey, and um, you know, there's no, I don't believe there's any failures in life. I think there's there's challenges, uh, and it's how you look at things. You know, you can you can fail, and, and you can you know, you could be down on yourself, or you, or you could look at it as an opportunity to be able to stand back up, get stronger, and build another company. And uh, and and I've been in both situations. I've I've had some you know really cool successes, and I've had a whole bunch of failures. Uh, but I, I believe that they're all in the same wheelhouse as being successful. Uh, because of the experience that we were able to garnish along the way. Okay. Are you, you know, can you talk about one of your, your, your big failures and kind of, you know, what you learned from it? Well, do we have enough time? We do. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 list, the list is long, Eric. Um, some of the big failures, I, I, I've, worked on, I've worked on a lot of uh, telecom projects overseas. Um, that took years to be able to to nurture these relationships and the, to be able to to get involved in the bidding process or to be able to partner up with some of these foreign companies, um, and and it didn't work. It wasn't necessarily because I didn't try hard enough or I didn't show up, but just the stars were not aligned for the the deal to be able to to work out. So. Um, you know, and, and I guess the the more emotional challenges being able to you know. It's okay to be disappointed, uh, but it's, I don't think it's okay to be continued, continually disappointed. I think you need to, to you know, wipe the dust off you, stand up, and, and keep moving. And, uh, and persistence, like everything in life, is uh, one of the keys to success. Okay, cool. And, you know, what's one thing you would tell your, your 25-year-old self? Um, if, if I was 25? Yes. If, <laughs> if I was 25. Um, Probably uh, appreciate appreciate every moment, whether it's business or personal. That we're here for such such a small time, uh, and all we have is, is our reputation, our resume, and our name. Um, outside of that, you know, money comes, money goes. Uh, it's completely arbitrary. Um, you have needs, and you have wants in life. Um, your needs are your food, clothing, and shelter. Uh, your wants are really whatever's put into your brain. You want a nicer car, you want a nicer house. So uh, having that constantly um, constantly reminding myself of that, I think, is, uh, is super important. So. Got it. Cool. And 
you know, actually, let's elaborate on that a little bit. You know, everyone's, I hear a lot of it, you know, it's like you, you got to appreciate the moment. Is there anything you do specifically to kind of appreciate the moment? Because I always tell myself that, but sometimes I just find myself kind of just, it's, it's just like really empty words. Like I'm, I tell myself I have to, but I'm not really doing it, you know? Sure, sure. Um, I, I pray every morning. I meditate every morning for a couple of minutes. Um, and even if it's five or 10 or 15 minutes, uh, and the rest of the day is just, you know, I'm on my way and not focused on anything uh, that spiritual. It's, it's those, those morning moments that I think gives the opportunity to stop and pause. So that's one thing that I do. Uh, Eric, the second thing that I do is, um, you know, I have, my, I have a beautiful wife, I have a beautiful family. Um, so I'm, uh, when I look at them, I, I realize that, you know, wow, like this is just absolutely amazing. So those two are appreciation points for myself. Awesome. Cool. Final two questions from my side. Um, you know, you, sh you, shared the you, you shared the meditation part. Uh, you know, what's one more productivity hack you could share with the audience? Um, find something that you're passionate about outside of work. Um, Put, put your iPhone, your Blackberry, your Samsung, put that stuff down. Um, have a turn off, you know, have a turn off time. You know, it could be 12 hours, it could be 24 hours. So I'm, a, I'm an Orthodox Jew, so I'm a Sabbath observer. So from Friday night to Saturday night, every single week, my phone is off. Uh, and I spend time with my family, I go to synagogue, um, I, I enjoy my family. And that's a time where I'm completely unplugged. So I'd say, um, I would say unplugged. It could be on Saturday, it could be on Monday, it could be a Tuesday, whenever it is, you know, take a break and come back fresh. Got it, okay. Super helpful and actionable. Final question, um, besides your own book, you know, what's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Ooh, that's a good, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think Blink, Blink and the Tipping Point are really, really great books. So I, I would, um, I'd get those two on your bookshelf. Okay, cool. All right, everyone. You know, Ari Zodan, you know, from Quantum Networks. Thanks for having you. Thanks for having you on the show. Um, and, you know, we hope to definitely, you know, have you again sometime soon. Great to be here, Eric. Thank you so much.